Good morning. Uh, my name is Claude Owens. I'm one of the elders here at Christ Community. Uh, take your Bibles out and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. And if you're using the Blue Pew Bibles, that's on page 820. Please stand with me as we read God's Word. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Uh, You may be seated. Please take a moment to meditate on God's word. Lord Jesus, uh, we see some amazing things about you in this passage. You reveal deep truths about who you are and what you want from us. And so I pray that we would see you clearly as we look at this text today. And I pray that you would help us trust you uh, in a way that you want your disciples, your followers to trust you, like we see in this text. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So this is, uh, you know, at least the concept here of Jesus walking on water is one of the more kind of widely familiar things about him. You know, most people who have even a vague idea of who Jesus is have like a, didn't he like walked on water? Uh, Something like that. So you see it show up, um, you know, in different things that kind of make light on or kind of uh, are playful about Christianity. Uh, and there's even a lizard called the green basilisk that can run short distances over the water. If you've seen like planet Earth, and do you think of what the nickname might be? The Jesus lizard. So uh, it's made it into jokey names for lizards. Um, though I'm guessing that's probably not what this account looked like of Jesus like running on top of the water like the fast kid in The Incredibles. Um, that's probably not what's happening here. Um, but it's cool to be, imagine being able to do Uh, But as we're going to see, there's actually a lot more going on under the surface. See what I did there? Under the surface of the story. Uh, This isn't just a neat trick. Um, Jesus is showing us some profound things about who he is and what he wants from his followers. Specifically, he takes three actions that show his disciples who he is. Three actions. Um, unfortunately, I don't have like neat alliterations for these, um, so I'm failing my Southern Baptist roots, and I feel that, trust me. But um, the story is so powerful, and y'all are so smart, that even so, I think we'll be able to pick this up today. We'll be all right. So three actions that show Jesus, that show who Jesus is. 
First action is that Jesus comes near in the storm. Jesus comes near in the storm to show who he is. Let's look at verses 22 through 25 again. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. So this story comes after Jesus has fed uh, 5,000, if you remember that miracle. And so he's been like teaching, healing, feeding, doing miracles all day. He's exhausted. And so he sends his disciples away. He's basically like, take the boat, go out, come back and pick me up later, pick me up over here. So he can dismiss the crowd and recharge with his father through prayer. So he spends a long time in prayer. It says he comes out in the fourth watch of the night, which would have been between three and six in the morning. So he has this long recovery period. Um, and while he's praying and the disciples are out on the water, a storm comes and it drives their boat away from shore. It says a long way. Uh, maybe you have a note that says mini stadia, which is like two football fields. So it's way, way out. His disciples are in dark and a storm. And the language uh, there in verse 24 shows that this is severe. It says they're being beaten by the waves, and the wind being against them conveys like hostility. Um, so these are professional fishermen manning this boat. It's not like, you know, a Yahoo who rented one from a marina and got lost somewhere. These are people who are at the mercy of a storm. They are small and afraid. And this is worth noting because just a few chapters before this, in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is on the boat with his disciples when a storm arises. He's sleeping on the boat. The storm comes. They wake him up saying, do something because we're all going to die. Don't you care? And then he just says to the storm, peace, be still. He says, basically, sit down and be quiet into the air. And the storm, it just vanishes. And so they have already seen him. We have already seen him in Matthew just calm a storm, stop it with a word. So that's something he's able to do, but he doesn't do it. He lets this storm come, and then he goes out in verse 25, in the fourth watch of the night, he meets them walking on the water while the storm is happening. Tim Keller, who's a retired pastor who served in Manhattan for decades, wrote a great book on prayer. It's just called Prayer. But in his introduction, he writes this. He writes, in the fall of 1999, I taught a Bible study course on the Psalms. It became clear to me that I was barely scratching the surface of what the Bible commanded and promised regarding prayer. Then came the dark weeks in New York after 9-11, when our whole city sank into a kind of corporate clinical depression, even as it rallied. For my family, the shadow was intensified as my wife, Kathy, struggled with the effects of Crohn's disease. Finally, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. At one point during all this, my wife urged me to do something with her we had never been able to muster the self-discipline to do regularly. She asked me to pray with her every night. Every night. And then he quotes her saying, If we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it because of all we're facing. I'm certainly not. And he goes on to say, That was more than 12 years ago, and Kathy and I can't remember missing a single evening of prayer together, at least by phone, even when we've, when we've been apart in different hemispheres. 
So Keller was pastoring in New York City during and after 9-11. His wife is dealing with long-term illness. He comes down with cancer. The Kellers were enduring storms that made them feel just as small and afraid as the disciples do in our story. They begin praying regularly out of desperation. You know, if God doesn't get me through this, like Kathy said, I'm not going to make it. But through that time, God came close to them, and he taught them a practice they wouldn't have kept up otherwise. He came to them in their storm, and he changed who they were. He changed their relationship with him. So a storm can be anything that makes us feel small and afraid at the mercy of forces that are bigger than ourselves. It can be an illness like this. It can be political turmoil or physical danger like many Christians in the Middle East and other parts of the world experience. It can be financial distress, relational chaos, or even a storm of my own sin or addiction. I mean, maybe you lived through the year 2020. I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember 2020, but it was a big year, bad year. Uh, All of these show us that we're small, that there are forces that are stronger than we are. It can be easy in those times to think that God has abandoned you or that he's mad at you. But this story shows that God may use a storm to come closer to you in a way that you've never felt before, never have before. So if you're in a storm, this is not me making light of it, please ask for help. Um, I hope you have a community of Christians that you can like, help you carry through it. I would love for you to reach out to us and see if there's any way that we can help you. Uh, cry out to God, too, um, because God may be coming to you through this storm, just like Jesus does. That doesn't make it good, but it means that it's something that God can use. Vanitha Risner, who's an author who's experienced decades' worth of storms in her life, um, just to the highlights, so to speak, are major disease, severe bullying, the death of a child, a broken marriage, said this in an interview. She said, what's helpful in the midst of suffering is knowing that God is with us. Pain can be so all-encompassing. Just knowing God is with me right now, he's never going to leave me. We can trust that he's writing a good story for our lives, even though we don't know what it is. So in your storm, Whether you feel like you see God in it or not, God isn't far from you. God is coming near to you. And again, whether you feel like you're learning a lesson through it or not, God is there. And that's what Jesus shows us in this time, that he comes near in the storm. That's his first action. His next action is this. He asks, asks for trust. He asks for trust. Let's look at verses 26 through 29. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. So this is one of those stories that's evidence the disciples were very unlikely to have made this stuff up. Because if they had made it up after Jesus was gone, verse 26 would read something like, the disciples recognized Jesus from afar, and all 12 leapt out of the boat and ran over the water to him, and they played American Ninja Warrior on the waves until the sun rose. You know, right? Like, they would make themselves look good. Um, 
what they what they do they they totally don't recognize him they freak out it's a ghost they're crying out screaming in fear they didn't have to put that in the story and so this is just evidence that they are um they're not making themselves look good um so all the miracles they've seen Jesus do so far, all the things he said, all the things he's done, they don't recognize him in this situation when they're in the middle of the storm. So in verse 27, Jesus says, take heart, don't be afraid. He has to tell them two different ways. Take courage, don't be afraid. And in between that, he says, it is I. But these words aren't just like a, hey, it's me signal. When he says, it is I, in Greek, he, use, he says these two words. He says, ego, a me, which is like the waffle and the woman's name if you accent the second syllable. Ego, a me. Um, now, uh, if you keep your thumb here in this passage and flip your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, follow, me with that, follow that with me. On the blue Bibles, it's page 46. It's the second book of the Bible. Exodus chapter 3, this is when God appears to Moses using the burning bush, and he tells Moses he wants to go back to Egypt and lead the Israelites out of slavery. So let's start in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So in this story from Exodus 3 was being translated from Hebrew into Greek, how do you think the translators might have rendered God's name, I am? Ego eimi. So Jesus isn't just telling the disciples he's not a ghost. He's telling them who he is, who he really is. In Job chapter 9, verse 8, Job says this of God, God alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. God alone trampled the waves of the sea. The I am, the ego eimi. The Christian doctrine of the incarnation, or in-fleshing, is that the man of Jesus, the man Jesus of Nazareth was both fully human that in every single way, he didn't just seem to be human, he was human, born of a woman. And at the same time, in a way that we don't know how to explain, he was completely and fully God. That God the Son became a human being who was born of the Virgin Mary, and he's sometimes called the God-man because we don't really know another way to construct how to convey both of those realities at the same time. So the person of Jesus Christ is simultaneously the human, Jesus of Nazareth, and the divine Son of God. And that's what he's showing us a little bit here when he comes out trampling the waves of the sea. And when he says, not just it's me, he says, I am to his disciples. He's showing us his true nature, just a glimpse of who he is. His disciples have already seen him do and say things that only God should be able to do and say. He's already shown and given some hints that he's God walking around on earth. That's who he is. And that's what it means to come. And that's why we worship him. We don't just think he's a great guy, but we worship him because this is who he is. And so he's telling them in this passage when he says, I am, he's saying, trust me, 
I want you to trust me. You can flip back to our passage if you haven't already. So once again, 11 out of the 12, you know, they, they might believe him, but they're believing him from the boat. You know, they're like, we got our comfortable you know, position of security. That's great. That's who you are. Uh, I, I'm still good here. Thank you. Um, you got to love the Apostle Peter. So I had a friend who, um, as an adult in medical school, so, you know, like a responsible uh, adult, he came to a Halloween party once dressed as Optimus Prime, you know, the huge transformer. And this guy was also like 6'6 six, six and 350 pounds. So it's a, uh, the, the total effect was a costume so big he had to ride in the back of a truck to the party. So he didn't fit in a car in his suit. Um, that's what Peter is like. Everything Peter does is cranked up to 11. The good, he wants all the good. And the bad, as we, you know, like we'll see from other stories, is real bad. And so Peter just lives on 11. He lives at this highest, you know, maxed out level. And so when he sees Jesus walking on the water and he hears Jesus say, ego a me, it clicks enough for him that his response is, call me out there. Let me come too. Let me come to you. If you call me out, I'll come. And then uh, you know, just, just as a reminder, it's still storming. You know, their boat is still getting slapped around by the waves and pushed around by the wind. So it's not like he's stepping out into this lagoon. Um, he's saying, Jesus, if you are who you are, call me out. I will trust you. I want to come to you. He trusts that if Jesus is who he says he is, he can work the same miracle for Peter that he worked for himself, that he can bring Peter to the same place that he is. He'll make it possible. And so Peter does when Jesus calls him. He jumps out of the one thing keeping him from drowning in the storm into the storm. So he goes from relative safety to you know, basically the, the threat of drowning. Um, this is like, if you remember the, the leap of faith in the third Indiana Jones movie, that's this, you know, like secure, nothing. And so that's what he steps out into. And this is what sometimes our opportunities to trust Jesus look like as well. It's leaving a situation of relative comfort and jumping out into maybe total unknown, something we have no idea what it looks like. Um, you know, many of the missionaries that the team we prayed for today are going to serve, they did just that. They left the relative comfort of their, you know, American or European lives, and they relocated to the Middle East, to a totally different culture, different language, different people, to, like, live in discomfort and try to build relationships and share the gospel. And the people who are going to be saved, who are saved, who come out of that ministry in that Middle East context are making a bigger leap of faith. Because they're stepping out of like a culture where they're fine and they kind of, you know, like no one's making waves into something that's at the very least going to put them in the path of ostracism from their family, maybe hostility, maybe worse from their own people, their own government. So sometimes that's what trusting Jesus looks like. And like Peter, that decision isn't always being made from a place of calm comfort. It's getting made. It might be getting made in the middle of a financial or cultural or relational storm where this is the, the last time uh, that I would ever want to make a dangerous, risky step. Of like, I have to get things settled first before I can think about making a big decision. That's not what Peter does. There are some calls that Jesus makes that are for everyone, that we know from Scripture that we're confident about. The call to repent from sin and believe in his word. The call to lay down your life for God's glory and the good of others. 
the call to love and forgive even those who hurt you. Sometimes those calls feel like joy, and sometimes they feel like jumping out of the comfort of my little life, you know, my self-controlled life, into a storm. My dad said he heard a pastor say once that when this happened in this text, that Peter wasn't actually walking on the water, that he was walking on the word of God. That was really powerful for me. That what Peter is trusting isn't just like Jesus can do something with physics to make it so that my feet won't sink under the waves. He is saying that Jesus called me out into a life. And if he called me, his word is going to make that possible too. He is going to make a way where there's nothing but a storm, as far as I can see. And it does. It works. Jesus steps out on the way, or Peter steps out on the waves And he stands and he walks and he starts coming to Jesus. So his trust is rewarded and he has this moment of victory because he trusts that Jesus is stronger than his storm. And that's something that we need to know as well, that no matter what storm you might be in right now or will face in the future, Jesus is stronger than it. If it's disease, he healed disease. If it's relational chaos, you know, a sense of abandonment or abuse from others, he welcomes you into his family and he never lets go there. Uh, Even the ultimate storm of death that takes us all, whether we have an easy life now or a hard life now, he went through that also and he's shown us that there's a way, a, a life on the other side. And so Jesus has conquered every storm that doesn't make uh, walking in the storm easy. It doesn't make every storm here go away. It doesn't mean that we live in just victory and coast along if we have enough faith. Sometimes we trust him and we see amazing things happen. And sometimes we trust him and all we do is we experience the miracle of suffering, making us a gracious and a loving person instead of a bitter one, like the Kellers did through their time. So the question to ask ourselves from this action of Jesus is, what does it look like for me to trust Jesus right now? Is there some comfort that I need to get out of? Is there some step that I need to take? I'd encourage you to pray that question and to talk it through with your community group or whatever other close Christians uh, are around you that you could help comfort you and guide you in that. Because Jesus asks us to trust him. That's the second action. And this is the third, is that Jesus rescues the failure. Jesus rescues the failure. This is what we're closing with. We start in verse 30. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, You are the son of God. So Peter, who's the one disciple who had trusted Jesus enough to get out of the boat to begin with, he looked around at the storm and he got afraid again. He took his eyes off of Jesus. He lost his faith and he starts to sink. So he starts with confident faith. Call me and I'll come. And then while he's there, the storm becomes more real to him. It becomes the bigger voice in his head than Jesus is. And he starts to sink. And his confident faith turns into this desperate faith. He says, Lord, save me. That's all he can manage. 
And Jesus could have let him go. He could have said, sorry, man, you had your chance. You lost it. I'm down to 11. I gotta go check the minor league roster and see if there's someone we can bring up so we can round the team out again. Jesus could have done that. He could have walked away from the other 11 who didn't even get out of the boat to begin with. They didn't trust him enough to do that. But that's not what he does. He reached out his hand and took hold of him. Even when Peter's faith fails, Jesus doesn't fail Peter. He rescues the failure. He picks Peter back up out of the storm when he's fallen in, and he gets in the boat with the 11 disciples who didn't have the faith to get out of them to begin with, and the storm stops. So if this was a test, they all failed. Maybe Peter got a 50. You know, they got zeros. Um, But Jesus didn't abandon them to their failure. And this is the last thing that we're going to say today. Maybe you're in a storm, and you took your eyes off Jesus and started sinking a while ago. And you're here, you know, in physically, but inside you're drowning. This story tells us that Jesus hasn't abandoned you. What you need right now is like Peter to cry out, Lord, help me. He will. Or maybe you've been in failure mode for a while now, and you think that God has kind of washed his hands and walked on off the water, leaving you to drown. But this isn't the last time that Peter fails Jesus. He does it in a big way again and then again that are in the permanent record we have in the Bible. So at least two major times, Peter totally screws it up and abandons Jesus again to 11, just like his other stuff. But Jesus never leaves Peter to the storm because of his failures. He doesn't now. He doesn't later. He doesn't ever. He's just as quick to answer that desperate, failing faith as he is a confident faith. We read Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, kind of coming out of the confession time. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read these verses again. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We aren't the people who never fail God. We aren't the people who confidently leap out of the boat. We're the people who, in this storm, were drowning. In the storm of our own sin, we were gone. We were as good as dead. And we belong to God now, not because we figured out the magic words or how to have the right kind of faith. We're here because in God's mercy, he came down into the storm and he reached up and he pulled us out. And we know this because Jesus didn't just walk on top of the storm of sin and of God's wrath. He went down under that storm when he was crucified and buried. And then he rose again coming out of it. And when he did, he left the sinful part of human nature behind and he raised up to heaven and he is there now on top of the ultimate storm. And it says that when we trust him, he reaches down and he brings us up too, on top, not of the water, but on top of, you know, the glory of God, on top of heaven itself, above the threat of every storm that will ever come to us. He was willing to die to do that. Not because we have potential or we could be the A-team if we, you know, get cleaned up a little bit. 
but while we were utterly and totally lost. And so that's the hope that I want us to have from this story, that Jesus wants us to trust him. He calls us to trust him. And sometimes that trust is easy and we're confident about it. But even if we've failed, we can still trust him. And he is never going to let us go. He actually showed us this, showed us how much we can trust him through the special meal that we call communion, which is what we're taking today. Before Jesus was crucified, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread that we're about to eat is my body that was broken for you for the forgiveness of sins. And he also took a cup and he poured it. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. And he said, as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup and you proclaim my death and you remind yourselves that I was willing to die so that you could live. And so we take communion right now in COVID with these little things. Um, hopefully this will be over soon. But um, if you peel the top wrapper off the cup, there's this little wafer underneath. And if you peel back the lid a little bit more, then you'll find uh, the juice. And so let us eat and let us drink and let us remember Jesus' mercy for us. Pray with me. Jesus, you are the one who tramples the waves. You are the one because you are the ego a me, the I am. You have authority over all storms in our lives. And you promise that uh, you have made a way through the final storm into the safe harbor of the new creation. And so I pray today that we could worship you as that God because you deserve worship just for that, if nothing else. But I pray that we could also worship you all the more because in your grace, um, you've called us to trust you and you have made a way so that even when we fail you, you do not fail us. That you have brought us up to where you are entirely because of your mercy. I pray that you would help us trust you in that. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you.